Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that post the next. Big jab there from Duffy and Fred Mir is hurt now. Oh! They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. We like to tell you every few episodes, it's Ken Flo's favorite favorite part of the week. <laughs> it's Monday, October 21st, 2019, episode 222 of the Anik and Florian podcast. Oh, Boston, Massachusetts, I love you. I got the text from Keith Florian, actually. We were going to try to connect, but uh, nice. you know how packed fight week is. So I was hoping to uh, to go to the Florian Martial Arts Center, maybe meet up with your brother downtown, but, uh, but it never happened. But, man, great to be back in the bean, you know? I mean, as a former season ticket holder for the Celtics, to be in that building uh, for all the UFC dramatics uh, was pretty special, as it always is, you know? <laughs> Absolutely, man. I, I haven't been back home for a little bit. Uh, it is a great time to be back home. Uh, I was very jealous, and uh, I, I thought the Boston crowd um, was definitely entertained by some fantastic fights. And I have to say about the crowd, and anyone who listens to this podcast will know that this is not Boston homerism, because oftentimes I lead the show talking about these crowds and, and how festive yeah. they make it. Uh this city put on for the UFC, man. I mean, I, I don't know how many people were in there. You know, it was not a sellout. I don't know if it was 15,000. Uh, they sounded like 45,000, you know? I always say the loudest crowd I ever heard was a non-GSP fight in Montreal. Uh, but this TD Garden, if it was 22,000, as it was for Dillashaw Cruz or something close to it, uh, loud as hell. Obviously, there were a lot of big performances for the local guys. And uh, for a kid who grew up, you know, watching the Bruins and Celtics, for me, you know, being underneath that jumbotron, being able to try to, you know, light up the crowd a little bit, doing post-fight interviews was uh, was something I won't forget. But a uh, lot of things to get to, you know. Uh, Ray Longo no longer in the running for Coach of the Year, unfortunately, folks. It's been a tough 10 days. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, uh, man. 
See, you didn't think I would ever say that on the air. You know, I don't plan anything. I mean, I do have a, an, an outline, a little rundown here. But uh, Ray's my guy. I'm just joking around, you know. Got a lot of fighters and coaches who listen to the show. I'm just joking around with my guy. But Ray Longo is coming up here in nine minutes. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to get to with Ray. I mean, obviously, this is a yeah. tough pill to swallow. I don't know what they chalk it up to. You know, I think Chris Weidman is going to fight again. But Ray will be on with us shortly. Uh, but Dominic Reyes with a big main event win, obviously, his first time headlining for the UFC, Ken Flo. And, uh, you know, he looks like an NFL cornerback in there, right? He's 6'4", 225. He looks the part. He's a tremendous athlete. We didn't even get to see, obviously, layers of his game that we've seen in the past because the fight was so quick. Um, but there's a lot mentally that goes into the first true big fight like this, and, and I shouldn't denigrate the past five, but there's a lot that goes into it. And for, for it to go like this for Dominic Reyes uh, is very encouraging, certainly for the fighter and for the promotion movement moving forward. Uh, he, he's a real light heavyweight contender, I think, after what we saw on Friday night. I was very nervous um, for Chris Weidman at the weigh-in. The size differential was significant. Um, the composure uh, of Ray's was yeah. impressive as well. No I mean, the guy's dan dancing out to the octagon. Yeah. I had never seen that out of him. Um, to me, again, you know, a lot of people like to put a lot of weight in that when someone's dancing. Sometimes it's the letting go of nervous energy. To me, it seemed like he knew this was his moment. Uh, he was extremely confident heading in there. Uh, and he landed quite possibly one of the most difficult punches to land in all of right. combat sports. That left hand kind of leaning going backwards, something that Conor McGregor really made a career out of when he knocked out Jose Aldo. It's a very difficult punch to throw, to throw it with that kind of looseness, with that kind of confidence, with that kind of timing, and to drop Chris Weidman, uh, obviously a true veteran of the game, former champion at 185 pounds. The way that he did was extremely impressive. Uh, if I was John Jones, I would fight him as soon as possible. Yeah, this is a Dominic yeah. Reyes that is getting better all the time. He really is, and I think developmentally he's been brought up the right way with Joe Stevenson and all the other people that have been in his ear, obviously cross-training at Team Quest now and Cobra Kai and everywhere else, but uh, he wasn't in a rush when he came to the UFC despite obviously being fast-tracked by some people and uh, just a huge result for him, and I think sometimes you know, you don't glorify the performance or put it on a pedestal when it's a really short fight, you know, but I hope this performance gets its due credit for just everything that fight we can tell for this guy. I mean, he sat down in the fighter meetings, right? And I have sort of an idea right in my head who I think is going to win a lot of these fights, even though I keep my mouth shut about that. But I have an idea in my head, like going to a fight city and after sitting down with him. Uh, it was hard to think he wasn't going to win that fight. And you didn't know if it was, you know, this West Coast cockiness creeping in or if it was just confidence and uh, yeah. just confidence, 6-0 and in the UFC. Uh, he wants the John Jones fight right now. John Jones doesn't circumstantially have an opponent right now. Jan Bohovic seemingly would have been the guy after beating Luke Rockhold. He has a main event on the books against Jacare Souza. So is your appetite for Reyes Jones right now if you're the Reyes side or do you want uh, one more test? I would probably want to get one more test for Dominic Reyes. Again, you're, you're facing quite possibly the greatest fighter in combat sports history in John Jones. Get as much experience as you can. Um, you know, I, I think that for Dominic Reyes, this is a guy that uh, has been getting better. He did, certainly looked way better than he did in his last fight against Uzumir. Um, looked way sharper. Uh, and uh, again, that... that to me shows that he's developing as a striker. Um, it's it's just really impressive to watch. And again, you know, good luck preparing for a guy who's six foot four, two hundred and five pounds. I mean, and that that is a difficult out for a guy like Chris Weidman, who of course is coming up from 185 pounds. Um, I thought he did a great job of neutralizing wrestling attacks, um, getting back to his feet when he needed to, staying calm and composed in that in that kind of environment. However, um, Dealing with that against someone like a John Jones is a whole different beast altogether. Uh, continue to get a little bit more experience, possibly one more fight, uh, and, and then go in there against someone like John Jones. In a lot of respects, even though we've seen middleweights realize success moving up to light heavyweight, it's like moving two weight classes. It's 20 pounds. Yeah. It's not featherweight to lightweight or even right. lightweight to welterweight. So uh, 
Obviously, that 195-pound division that does not exist would be a good wheelhouse for a lot of fighters, and maybe Chris Weidman would be among them. Uh, I don't even know if Reyes could make 195. I think he weighed 203, but he's uh, every bit a light heavyweight and fills out that frame well, obviously, on fight night when he rehydrates. And uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I... I think he's ready to go. You know, I think you got to strike while the iron's hot if you're Reyes, and, and circumstantially the calendar is falling for you right now. I don't know when John Jones wants to fight, um, but I certainly think uh, when you beat a Chris Wyman and you do it like that, regardless of Chris Wyman's recent history, um, you should be trying to pursue that championship opportunity because, again, injuries and everything else in the sport, you never know uh, when it'll come around again. Uh, on the other side is Chris Weidman. So he's lost five of six. I mean, in it, obviously, two or three fights ago was a huge win against Chris we uh, Kelvin Gastelum, a fight in which he proved a lot. Uh, but the ledger now says he's lost five of six, all of them by knockout or TKO. Uh, you know, Flo, I'm not in the business of retiring fighters, but I'd imagine uh, there are going to be some conversations after what we saw this weekend. What are your thoughts uh, on the Weidman side of this? You know, it's hard to see. Chris Weidman has been one of the nicest guys, one of the true gentlemen of this, it, one of the true gentlemen's left in this sport. I think he's a guy that a lot of people respect. He's done some amazing things in this sport, but I, I haven't seen Chris Weidman the same since those back-to-back -back losses to Rockhold and Romero. Romero specifically, um, that that flying knee was absolutely devastating. Yeah. I don't know if it's the effects of the knockout or perhaps the effects on the mind aspect uh, of him and when he prepares for a fight and goes into a fight. Um, losing like that can certainly shatter a fighter's confidence. Um, I don't know if that's the case or maybe he's slowed down a step since those back-to-back -back losses. I don't know what it is. Um, it's hard to pinpoint things like that in mixed martial arts because there are so many factors that go into it, the preparation and all those things. Right. Um, you know, my understanding is that, um, you know, he kind of prepares with the same guys, kind of same two or three guys over yep. and over again. Um, I don't know if he needs maybe some more sparring partners to prepare but it's not going to get e any easier at 205 pounds. Um, I, I don't know if it calls for a return back to 185 pounds or something right. like that. But, man, uh, you know, it, it's just hard to see a, a good, guy, good guy like Chris Weidman get hurt and get knocked out in these fights. And it is tricky when it comes to the weight class and the preparation because Dominic Cruz hasn't closed the book at all on competing at, at even lightweight in the UFC, right? I mean, certainly featherweight, right? I mean, a big picture, I understand Dominic Cruz is 155 pounds, right? I get it, naysayers. But the mentality of cutting weight, not excessively, but cutting weight and what the training camp has to entail in order to make that number, I think for Wyman might be better at 85. And this is just fan here with my opinion. But I think what it forces you to do from a cardio standpoint, a discipline standpoint, a nutrition standpoint, I think Chris Wyman's optimal weight class might just be 85. So I think some people are going to chalk this up to him fighting a, a potential future champion in Dominic Reyes who just fought a perfect two minutes, you know, like yeah. I don't want to overthink it one way or the other, but certainly not what Chris Weidman was looking for. Uh, long going two minutes first, though. How about Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens burying the hatchet after everything that that fight entailed? I mean, Kenny, I've been sitting there for 150 of these live events, and I can't remember a fight that seemed to have as much raw, real emotion and heat behind it. I thought Jeremy Stevens was going to go suicide mission. Yeah. I honestly thought he was just going to, you know, not be patient nor disciplined and try to knock the other guy's fucking head off. Well, you know? yeah, I mean, he certainly tried, and, and that's always <laughs> been a big part of his game plan. Uh, everything he throws, uh, he throws with very bad intentions. He's trying to knock your head off. Um, I think he was a little bit thrown off by the aggression as well, though. In that first round, Yair Rodriguez threw everything at him. The second round, even more. You could argue it was a 10-8 round for Rodriguez uh, in, in that second round. Absolutely yep. brutal. Um, and Jeremy Stevens, the way that he came back in that third round, I, I thought was very impressive. Um, you know, I thought that having it you know, a fight that was going to go three rounds kind of favored Yair Rodriguez in a lot of ways because right. of his ability to stick and move and utilize his footwork. Um, I thought it was a, a very solid performance against a true veteran in the game and Jeremy Stevens. And, um, you know, Yair's going to be a, a big problem for a lot of guys. He's absolutely fearless when it comes to throwing strikes. He will pull the trigger. Um, he was all over uh, Jeremy Stevens when he was hurt. 
And uh, I didn't see him really getting tired at all. So my interpretation of the newer scoring, right, is that this fight would be 10-9 Yair in round one, 10-8 Yair in round two, and probably 10-8 Stevens in round three, which would give Yair the decision. And I thought he won the fight. And right, I I understand your hesitation to give Jeremy Stevens a 10-8 in round three. But the, the fucking language is like you don't even have to largely dominate the round. And I guess I'm just sort of either TJ loves half points and I don't want to have this yeah. conversation today. But I do think the right guy won the fight. I am absolutely amazed at Jeremy Stevens's toughness. It's probably the loudest, most vicious body strike that I've ever seen cage side. I mean, the purple was omnipresent right away. Um, your thoughts on Stevens's toughness and, and Kevin McDonald there uh, not stopping the fight in round two. I thought Kevin did a, did a great job in the fight. Uh, Kevin really has developed into uh, one of the best referees in the game. I thought it was really smart uh, of him really looking at Jeremy Stevens to see if his eyes were still in it, if his body was still in it. It yep. looked like he was. It was borderline. There's no doubt about it, but clearly he made the right call there. Jeremy Stevens is all heart. Um, this is a guy that would not have quit um, against anyone, let alone someone like Yair Rodriguez, the guy who had he had legitimate beef with. Um, uh, I disagree on that 10-8 round for Jeremy Stevens in, the, in sure. round three. I think sure. you know he, it was a solid round. It was impressive, um, but um, I, I thought that you know Yair did enough in that round to, to not have it be a 10-8. I, I thought Jeremy Stevens didn't really hurt him, hurt him to the point where he was going to take him out like Yair had him in the second round. Sure. But, um, you know, your your definition of a 10-8 round is probably much better than mine, and your understanding of it's probably well, better I, than mine. But I, I think that, um, you know, I don't know. I, I thought that Jeremy did show a, tre- a tremendous amount of heart. And, and again, you know, I think in regards to what you were saying about, you know, bearing the hatchet, I think when you have all these emotions heading into a fight, and we've seen it many times before, you give it all in the octagon. Both guys understand you know everything about that other guy. How can you not respect each other after something like that? Right. Um, and, you know, they didn't go after each other's family or anything like that. It was definitely amongst them, amongst men. Uh, but they, they settled their beef in the octagon, essentially. They both yeah. got some big shots on each other. They both showed each other what they were all about mentally, physically, spiritually. And uh, I think that's why you saw them kind of hug it out after. Yeah, because sometimes they won't hug it out because, like, Yair still believes, Flo, that Stevens right. should have fought back in Mexico City. Like he's still sticking <laughs> right. to his original story, and and so I think that's why it really boiled sure. over. Because even you know when we sat down with Yair, he still was not at all willing to admit that Jeremy uh, couldn't have fought. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll say this real quickly. You know, I, I think as a fighter, you kind of have to believe certain things to get you to do what you do you and go. to do yeah. it at your yeah. best. And I think yeah. for Yair. He's holding on very strong to those beliefs that, you know, he felt that Jeremy could yeah. have continued and right. uh, it worked for him. Yeah. You guys are a different breed, you fighters, I'll tell you. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. You're talking about his eye closed against Frankie Edgar. It's like, I wanted to fight on. All right. A guy who always fights on and uh, has no choice but to fight on. Greatest New Yorker I've ever met. Let's get to Ray Longo. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Raymond Peter Longo now joins us. Probably happy to be out of the state of Massachusetts with all the Boston accents <laughs> flying around. Nah, I love, How I are love you? Boston. I love Boston. It didn't treat us too good. I'm miserable. But uh, we had, you know, Boston was beautiful, man. The Charles River. I loved watching those guys rolling every day. It was great. So, uh, Obviously not the the desired result for Chris Weidman in the main event, and you hate to go too far down the analytics train when you only have 103 seconds of fighting. Uh, but what were your thoughts on uh, on the fight as long as it lasted? Man, I, I tell you, obviously not even close to the way I saw the fight going, but uh, uh, I was hoping, you know, I, I really did believe to move up in weight. Uh, would make a big difference, you know, even in the ability to take punches and stuff like that. So, I don't know, it was, uh, you know, I thought he came out good. You know, we couldn't get him, you know, whatever happened against the cage, and then the guy got away. It was just really pretty short, so it's hard to uh, 
to say, but I didn't uh, I didn't see the fight going that way at all. But hats off to Dominic Reyes. He did a nice, beautiful, you know, counter left hand over his cross. So it was awesome, you know, for him. Uh, it really was a, an amazing punch, Ray. Um, it, what was Chris's take out after the fight, and and how were his spirits after? Uh, you know, he's healthy, I think, which is the biggest thing. It really wasn't, yeah. uh, you know, they, I think they only suspended him 30 days, and uh, they might have upped it, you know, uh, but the, I know the original thing, the doctor was saying, no, he's, no, he's fine, and there's nothing going on, so, uh, uh, you know, obviously bummed out, you know, uh, I think he felt like eventually he was going to get the fight to the floor, he said he didn't feel super strong against the cage, but, uh, the guy, you know, the guy, the guy got away, and you know that was the fight. You know, it was avoiding the left hand and getting it to the floor. You know, both, you know, he had a uh, Dominic had to avoid being taken down, and Chris really had to avoid, you know, the left hand. You know, even when I was talking to him, I said, hey, if he's going to beat you, let him beat you with the hook. But we know that's coming. You know what I mean? Like it was no surprise, and uh, whatever. You know, it's one of those you zig when you should have zagged, and that's it. But kind of, kind of depressing. Ray, is there any um, thoughts? I know it's still early after the fight, but are there any thoughts on him sticking around at two hundred five, going to one eighty five? I know uh, Dana White's talking about uh, you know calling Chris and um, suggesting retirement. What are your thoughts on all that? And have you spoken to Chris about it? No, that I haven't spoken to him about. You know, we just kind of hung out and uh, you know he was with his family and stuff and couple of friends come into the room, and then I really didn't talk to him. I got, I, I'll definitely call him today, but, you know, with those type of things, just let him take a couple of days off and wrap his head around everything, because, yeah. you know, right after the fight definitely isn't the time to be thinking of anything, but uh, this one, this one's a tough one, man. This one's going to be tough, you know, so uh, we'll see, you know. But he's, he's a pretty intelligent guy, so we'll see what decisions he's going to make. Well, there's certainly a lot of things uh, at his disposal in terms of what he could do still being involved in the fight game if he chose that path. And I say all the time on this show, Ray, I'm never in the business of retiring fighters. I am in the business of putting a microphone in fighters' faces right after they lose. It's obviously not my call, right? Um, I do what I'm told. And and as far as that's concerned, at least in that moment, I, I, I understand not ideal in terms of time to talk to an athlete. But he very much, Ray, seemed to sound like a fighter who has no intentions of stopping now. Yeah, I, I, I tell you, I, I'm going to say I probably zoned out, so I don't even yeah. know what was his comments after that. I didn't go back and look at anything. No, so he said was he was just going to be back better, uh, but, you know, I just, I don't know. I oh, mean, I got it. Yeah. I, I just, he, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I wonder how much he'll read into the opponent and how good the opponent is when he assesses this result or if he's going to think you know, I've lost five of six all by by knockout of some kind, even though he didn't go out against Reyes necessarily. You know, I, I don't know. Right. I just uh, I think sometimes, right. you know, a, a quick fight, you can sort of overthink and, and think the worst when maybe uh, he could prove a lot if he could just get back in there against the right opponent. I don't know. Yeah, no, no. This is like, again, this is the. Uh... This this is kind of like a first for me, so we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, he, I, I thought that's what he kind of said. He said, "My God is good, and I'll be back strong, or something like that." But uh, yeah, we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. And uh, he had look, he had a good camp. He was healthy. He did a shitload of wrestling. I really thought he looked awesome. So uh, you know, and I and I really thought you know, even though the guy's a top contender, I thought it was a good matchup for him. But. Um, Back to the drawing board, I guess. We'll see what happens. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, is there anything else that you're burning on? I mean, <laughs> you know, we appreciate. Well, no, hey, we Kenny, pre- can you make Kenny, can you make me laugh on a day like this? <laughs> <laughs> I need something. We're trying. We're let's trying. Talk in- let's talk, we talk try about to, the uh, inhaler. How's that? There we go. We can talk about the inhaler with you. I think yeah, that's a good jumping that. off point for the Greg Hardy fight. Uh, so a no contest against Ben Sassoli overturned if you missed it because uh, Greg used his inhaler, uh, whether he was allowed to do so or not, I guess still in some respects open to interpretation. Uh, Ray Longo's been in this fight game a while. What do you have on Inhaler Gate for us, Ray? <laughs> inhaler Gate. 
Yeah, I think that's pretty pathetic, to be honest with you. <laughs> let me just, the let me one guy, my, Ray. The one guy. I know. Who didn't need that what in his that? corner. The one guy who didn't need controversy. The one guy for one I, fight, and he gets it again. Yeah. What is going on? Well, well, that's the problem, man. With his smoke, there's fire. I mean, it seems like anytime this guy's in a, like a little adversity, and he definitely got hit in the first round. I don't even know what the judges were scoring, really. I mean, he went backwards the whole fight. I thought the guy definitely won the third round for, for sure, but um, I, I don't know, man. They just the inhaler thing is like USADA approved. Like he had almost had his whole script laid out, you know. And it's USADA approved. He's waving it in front of everybody, and you know they approve coffee too. But you can't drink coffee during the rounds. I mean, like, well, where are we? I mean, this is crazy almost to me. <laughs> well, therein lies the rub. Doing anything in between rounds. But let me ask you this: Well, that's Ray the Long. other Go. thing. And you're putting Wait, that, hang you put on. that poor inspector at a disadvantage. You know, you're in the middle of the fight, and you know you got a minute, to, you know, a minute in between rounds. And, uh, you know, you just conveniently have it in your pocket. No, wait, so hang I, on a second. Hang on a second. Because yeah. we haven't gotten to this on the show today, and I think ultimately my take is going to be that this is going to affect change when it comes to inhalers of some kind. Because as a core man, Ray, have you ever had in the locker room one of your fighters like inhaler in your pocket? Or have you ever had an athlete with exercise-induced asthma that had an inhaler in the locker room before the fight? Uh... Not that I'm aware of, but you can do it in the locker room before the fight. It's during the fight where the controversy comes. I right, think and so... You could probably right, do it right up until the walk into the octagon. But well, right, is, but that's why I say effect change. So in the inspection zone, if you can't use it once the fight starts, can right. you use it in the inspection zone, Ken Flo, uh, or yeah. only in the locker room, right? You can't wear contact no, lenses. I think, I know, I think if you, you know, had to, you could, I think you could use it right up into the point where you get into the octagon. That would be my guess. Right, so just like, you know, I can if, you almost... to take a, if you want to take a sip of coffee, I'm sure you could do that in the dressing room and uh, or without, but, you know, I don't even know about that. But uh, So I guess that, that will be the change. But, I mean, we'll put it this way, John. Like, you've been around a long time. Have you ever seen anybody use an inhaler in between rounds? No, I called my first MMA fight in 2009. And I have never seen anything like it. And I don't know that anyone ever. There is one instance, I believe, maybe Heath Herring, Kenny, back in the day, someone suggested uh, right. on the walkout to the octagon. But I, again, I, I, it's just to Ken Flo's point, it, the fact that Greg Hardy is the guy in the middle of all this is, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'll take some heat for saying poor guy can't catch a break. But my goodness, what are we doing with the inhaler? <laughs> Dean Thomas. Oh, uh, dude, I left my in- I left my syringe in the pocket. Let me give you an injection in between rounds. <laughs> yeah. Ah, sorry. Uh, All right, get back in there. <laughs> yeah. Did oh. you know in that opening of the inhaler, they had that shit lined with coke? Look at that stuff over there. Oh, <laughs> man. Are you kidding? I mean, I just, I just think it was so, you know, like he already had his defense laid out. I thought that was the funny thing. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, you sort of approved. Here it is. Nothing, nothing wrong by doing this. You know, it's just, <laughs> he was already, he was already uh, defending himself before anything even happened. You know, imagine like, you take a you, couple swats. Why you have to and ask, then you go out, knock the guy out? Ask that. <laughs> yeah, if you ask that in between the second and third round, not before the fight. Not get. I don't know. It's just weird. Just well, I flew back with Dean Thomas, and I, I, I didn't want to go all broadcast journalism school on him, but it was like I had a lot of questions, obviously. And uh, his initial instinct was like, nah, man, you can't use it in the middle of the round, you know, but then some, there was a commissioner who said he could, <laughs> I don't know. I, I love Dean, so I'm not even saying a word of guy. I think he caught a lot of heat from Dana, too, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, you know, hey, you sound look, a lot. As a corner guy, you could get caught up in that, too. It's, Yes. Like if it was really organic and it was spur of the moment, you're not really thinking that stuff. You're thinking about the fight and what to do. And, I, you know, let's again, I think that's the first time anybody's ever asked an inspector in between rounds, you know. So I yeah. think uh, it, it, you're right, though. It'll affect some sort of change, and the change will probably be, you know, that shit's going to be nowhere near anybody. They'll be frisking people now on their way into the ring. That's going to be the change. Well, I think that you'll, you're going to see Greg Hardy use use it up until the time that he can't use it anymore, and anyone else exactly, uh, which know, is what he should um, be doing. 
But, uh, you know, I understand that it levels the playing field as far as he's concerned, right? The albuterol or whatever it is. Uh, but an athlete that does, maybe I'm going to sound really ignorant here. But to me, it's like, why wouldn't you use it? That's a, even, you know, it's like, can't hurt you yeah. as someone who doesn't oh, have no, exercise. Oh, no, look, I'm not, putting, I'm not putting banging that, banging that albuterol, you know? Wait, the good news is I'm definitely not putting it in the category of, you know, what everybody else does. They they just, they, they don't even want you to take an aspirin. Like, you know, it, it gets yeah. crazy and oh. crazy. But, no, no, he's definitely, he. it's just, it was just a rule and it was just a first. And that's it. I don't, you know, listen, I'm going to say medically, at the time he took it, there's not even enough time for him to reap the benefits within five minutes. But I could be 100% wrong on that. But, you know, it's, you know, who knows? I don't know. You know, but they... You know, he he was in the NFL. I'm sure he's been through this before, when he could use it, when he should use it. And they, you know, maybe he had everything timed out. I don't know. But but that, I don't, I'm not putting that in a bed. It's just, it's just, like, again, it's right. It's just him, and it was weird, and that's it, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm I mean, glad we got, got you out, going. Let him do I'm something. Glad we got, I'm glad we got you going on the Ventolin inhaler uh, because you sounded... <laughs> A lot more I just want that. Time. I just want to pass it off to somebody else now. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that's it. I'm sorry. I'm a little uh, no. It's quite all right. Depressed, but uh, that was that. That that was a shocker to me. I really thought it was going to be a totally different outcome. And like again, he had a great camp, and uh, he was healthy, and he's still healthy with probably the first fight he's ever, you know, not going to go into surgery after a fight. So. Uh, we'll see what happens. I will definitely know if anybody's going to be in the loop. It's going to be you two guys. How's that? Well, we appreciate that. Thank and, you, Ray. And, and I would just say wait, on the way out. Again, fantastic thing with that piece you and uh, the other guy did. That the thing I really got a kick at it. I thought it was great. <laughs> I, I appreciate you watching the Boston accent piece. And uh, hey, you know that's what you that's what you New Yorkers get trying to come up on this TD Garden in Boston, trying to think you run this whole town. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I love you. I know you didn't like that. I'm totally kidding. I got so much love for you, buddy. No, no, no. It's all good. Are you kidding me? No, I I, I had a good look. The people were great. Um, I wanted to do a little, I wanted to move around a little more than I did, but, you know, next time. All right, my man. Well, thank you uh, for your time. As always, we look forward to next Monday, buddy. Have a good week. All right. Take it easy, buddy. Thanks, Trey. There he is. Ray Longo joining us here every week, dating to episode one on the Anakin Florian podcast. These New Yorkers come to the TD Garden. You don't think they run the show? You know, Yankees get eliminated that night, or was it the next night? I don't, I don't remember. Uh, we're going to recap more on this Boston show with Ian Parker coming up here in about two minutes. First, though, the pronunciation of the week: twelve and nine for DeSantis on the year gets a, a, a bonus, pretty healthy bonus. Ken Flo, if he's yeah. above five hundred on the year, twelve and nine is good. Tough one today, though. Uh, El Matador, they call him, I believe, out of Argentina, 9-1 after a win over Thiago Alves at UFC 237. TJ DeSantis, of whom am I speaking? I'd like to take a hard pass on this one, but I can't, apparently. <laughs> we've, we've already done this one. I know. And, 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 and I failed the first time, and I'm going to fail the second time, and I think it's because of, like, a disability. It's like a tongue disability. <laughs> I'm going to go with we that. Got- I, I, go can't, ahead, go I, I can't even say the word Matt Lindland, all right? I, my my wife and I, if we had a daughter, we were going to name her Lily, but I can't say Lily <laughs> with any consistency. So, all right. Um, I, I think I'm trying to say Ladiano Stadopoli. It's probably I, close enough, but let's hear him say it. Oh, man. Laudiano Stadopoli. Nah. Laudiano Stadopoli. As a resident South American here, I gotta, I gotta say no. I gotta say no. So we did this one fairly recently, and we have a lot of new listeners, and we're appreciative for them. This is the hardest name for me to say on the roster because I still don't really know what it is. But it's Lauriano Staropoli. You know, like you almost have to say it quickly. It's not Staropoli, or it's Lauriano Staropoli. You know, um, so twelve and ten for TJ. Uh, Kenfo is the judge. I was gonna give it to you. Um, but Kemflo brings more people to the show. I don't know. Uh, what to I had a problem with the first name more than even the second. I think. Uh, and I got a problem with your face. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Peruvian. Oh, TJ, I'm sorry. But, I, uh, hey, I real quick, real quick. We're on video. Are we just going to pretend that John Anik doesn't have a mustache right now? Like, what is that under your nose? Did you even see that? Yeah, no, that's disgusting. Get rid of that. Cat- He's got a little yeah, caterpillar oh, there. Oh, my God. Oh. 
I like it. See, this is when I don't have to be on camera. This is what we look like down I here, like TJ, that. every other week. You got to take it or leave it. All right. Uh, we got to get, you know, Ian Parker's texting me like, are you guys calling? You know, it's like, take it easy. Ian. Who runs the world? Girls. Let's get to Ian Parker. <laughs> this week's main event challenge brought to you by Oddshark.com. Oddshark, your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, and detailed matchup picks with expert in-depth analysis for each game. Their free statistics, numbers, and trends will help you make the sharp picks on game day. Head over to Oddshark and start playing like a shark today. Oddshark.com. Don't forget that second S. All right, six picks today for UFC Fight Night. Maya versus Askren. Singapore it is. Do we have Ian Parker? Ian, are you there? Uh, he's there, but I-, I wanted him to wait a little bit longer, and I wasn't ready, so let's make it official. Okay. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, Ian Parker now joins us. The question is, who is picking up your children on a Monday? Is it you or your wife today? Huh. Um, originally, it was going to be her, but she's under the weather. So I thought I was going to make it happen today, but unfortunately, I cannot. So I'm stepping up okay, yet again. So that's, so that's a hard out at 59. Yeah, you know, we'll be fine. Okay. All right, well, let's get a few thoughts then quickly from you. I mean, he's texting me, Kemflo, because he's like, are you guys calling? You know, like, we're a few minutes late, but I understand that it's a short window for you. I don't know what to tell you. You know, Longo goes a little bit long, and, uh, you know, I'm telling you, when you start committing to this podcast, you get your wife involved, then you have as much time as you want, you know? I'm just going based on our last conversation. You told me to text you when I was on and ready, so I was just doing my part. I don't know. All right. (laughs) <laughs> good. I, you just can't not like the guy, you know. It's just too nice you are. Uh, so you sure? we talked. Sorry. To, you sure about that? So uh, I'm a little loopy today. I apologize to the audience a little bit out there. So we we talked about Reyes and Weidman off the top. Obviously, we talked to Ray about it, and and I've honestly never heard his tenor like that, Kenny. Uh, to be honest with you, um, he was not at all happy or, or expectant uh, that it would go that way. What were your thoughts on Reyes and Weidman? I know you did have Chris at least on. On paper, for uh, for our audience, what'd you think of the fight? Oh, you're asking me. I thought you were asking Kenny. I apologize. Um, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's for me, it's hard. Obviously, I have a relationship with Chris. You know, we we go back, we go way back, and you always hope the best for the guy, especially when they started off so hot in their career. You know, built such a legacy. You know, against beating Anderson Silva and defending against you know Machida Vitor. You know, having some really good fights. His fight against Kelvin was a nice win. And then he's just run to really, you know, he, he seems like up until the Reyes fight, he was, he's was he been winning and then he gets knocked out. And going against Alec Reyes, I, I did think that was a really, um, in my opinion, a odd matchup for him in his debut at 205. You know, Reyes is no joke. Even though people are going to say that Vulcan and Ozdemir beat him, maybe, but Reyes has still been still undefeated. He's still knocking people out. And... You know, even with Chris's game plan of getting the fight to the floor, you know, he did. Reyes got back up and he landed that left. And, and Chris was pretty much done after that. You know, it, it sucks to see a guy that was such a, a solid champion, you know, and like I said, cementing a legacy, kind of getting beat up like this. Uh, I know Dana mentioned either go to middleweight or retire. You know, I, I think, in my opinion, I think he should go back to middleweight. And I think if I was him, I would try and get the Anderson Silva fight again, you know. And depending on how that turns out, you know, see where you're at. I think that his size is what really helps him in that middleweight division. At 205, some of those guys in the top are really big, and as we saw, that really makes a difference. Kenny, I agree with Ian that I'd like to see Chris back at 185 pounds. Uh, I'm not sure I have an appetite for the Silva fight. Do you think he would? I mean, I'm not sure what else he has to prove in that particular series. Uh, well, I get what Ian is saying in that it should be against a – a legend, a guy who's been around, who's at the end of his career. Um, you know, obviously there was controversy with uh, the leg break. Um, you know, the second fight. Uh, you know, obviously it was fine. Or, you know, that was the second fight was was the leg break, right? Yep. Um, so the the first one was the knockout. I mean, they could run it back. I, I think people would want to see that in some ways. I, I think I, I don't know if that's a fight the UFC would like to make, but I, I do get Ian Parker's point about. 
it being against a guy who's also kind of at the end of his career a little bit. And yeah, you're right. Sorry, John. I just want to say, I just think it's a, like, I, I appreciate Kenny for agreeing with me. It's a sellable fight still, but you can throw on a main card and you have two names that have history. That was kind of where I was going with. Yeah. In uh, Yair Rodriguez, there are a lot of layers to that fight. We could do a whole 45 minutes, I think, on fight week and the dynamic between the two of those guys. But just as far as Yair Rodriguez, the fighter, is concerned, you know, I, I think he's special. I mean, in 10 trips to the octagon, Frank Edgar's still the only guy to beat him. What were your thoughts on Yair's performance, and, and how far do you think he can take this thing uh, at featherweight? You know what? Um his his performance was impressive, and Kenny and I both said that his speed was going to be a factor. That body shot was, you know, oh. that fucking killed me. Um, that was rough, you know. I give credit to Jeremy Stevens for hanging in there. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm curious to how it would have went if it was five rounds. You know, Stevens in the third round was on top, was landing shots. Uh, I think Rodriguez, though, is something special. I, I don't disagree with you. I think he's consistently evolving. You know, yes, the Frank Yeager fight was the blemish that we all were kind of curious about. I'd like to see him fight another person that kind of has Frankie's wrestling acumen, that style a little bit, because that's where Yair does have the biggest issues. Um, if he can overcome that aspect of his game, I, I do see a potential title challenger in him. I don't think he should get it now. I know he's calling for the title shot. Um, no way. I don't think a win over Jeremy Stevens gets you there. But he, he like you said, he is something to keep an eye on. He, he's got it. He definitely has the sauce to get there. Canflo, you see Macy Barber? I did. So this was my first time seeing her fight live. And 1998, 21 years old, right? The single youngest fighter on the UFC roster. That's going to change in a few months here. But right now, still the youngest. She's all in. She moves to Milwaukee. Family move. Closed their gym in Colorado. Her primary training partner is her younger brother, who is also an aspiring mixed martial artist. Man, I, I was so impressed. You know, Jillian Robertson w- couldn't have been in a better place, was so confident, and it's like, man, did she get derailed by Macy Barber. Uh, to what extent are you impressed with the uh, 21-year-old future Macy Barber? Uh, I, I think that um, her maturity, her commitment to the sport is impressive. I, I think her aggression is going to go far, um, I, I think, in the division in a lot of ways. I, I, I think as she get as she gets up, the rankings a little bit, um, you start to face more skillful opponents, right? So that aggression isn't as much of a factor when the skill level gets higher. So um, I think it's going to work for her right now. I think that is a special aspect about her, that she is fearless, that she is very aggressive. Um, she's going to have to get more skillful with her strikes, with her def- the, with the defensive aspects as she moves forward. She's still very young. I hope that they still kind of give her the right fights to build her up because she can be a future star. She's very young. Um, I-, I just hope that they don't fast track her um, too quickly in the UFC. Ian, what do you think about Macy Barber? Former strawweight seems to have found the right division for her. Uh, your thoughts on, on Barber and what kind of noise she can make at 125? I think Kenny kind of hit it right on the nose. I really hope they don't fast-track her because, you know, even though she finished Jillian Rob, well, the, the, the ref stopped it maybe a little bit early. I don't know. I don't think if he would have, the fight would have kept going, there would have been much of a difference. I think he kind of just protected Jillian from taking any more damage. You know, there were things in Barber's game that I don't think she will get away with. As just as of right now, that fight, I don't want to take, take anything away from her. She was impressive. Kane and I both thought she was going to win that fight dominantly, and she did. Her confidence is there. The maturity at this age is awesome. You know, this sport, my, you know, the mental strength is almost as important as the actual physical part of it. And, you know, there were p- parts, I think, when she was getting hit in those exchanges that there just wasn't a lot of power on Jillian's punches. So Barber had no fear going and slugging away and just was the stronger power puncher. Um, I would love to, you know, I know she called out Paige Van Zandt. You know, I I don't think that really does a whole lot for her right now. I think Kenny's right. Keep grooming her. Let her build up her skills. She was hanging her hands really low. I think against some of the top tier in that division, she would get rocked. Um, But she is someone to look out for. Great personality. I love the nickname. I know Dana likes the way she fights. So I I just hope, like Kenny said, build her up slow and build a star out of her. Don't, Don't rush her to failure. All right, I don't want to shortchange Singapore. We might have to transfer a couple of these predictions to actually be just quick picks on the way out. Uh, quick thoughts, Ian, on Greg Hardy. 
We did enough with Longo, I think, on the inhaler, if you want to chime in on that because of your time in the fight game. I'm happy to hear it, but I guess I'm more curious on Hardy's development. Uh, I thought his striking went to to the next level at times in this fight. I thought he was more measured. Uh, I'm not anointing him a heavyweight contender. He is miles away from the elite in my mind, but did you see anything that encourages you about Greg Hardy uh, as, as a bona fide heavyweight contender, at least at some point down the line? Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm actually Im- impressed with his evolution of his game so far. You know, I think it was good to see him mixing up kicks. His, his striking looked good. He threw a nice Superman punch. He looked like a real mixed martial artist, not just a very powerful athlete that was able to dominate a less athletic fighter. Although Ben Sassoli, for a guy who has that shape and figure, can move pretty well. He's got some speed. And he's tougher than I actually thought. Um the inhaler thing, there's not much to really say on that. I blame his, you know, I love Dean Thomas. I love, I love that team, but I don't blame him for that. I blame them. They should know better in the situation. I'm assuming Kenny will attest to that, I hope, or else I just sound like an asshole. But <laughs> um, I, 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 yeah, I just think he's getting better. I, I really do. I, I hate to forget the legal stuff for a second. Greg Hardy, the mixed martial artist, he looked good. His striking looked really good. I, I would like to see a step up in competition. John, to your point, uh, he would not do well against a Francis Ngannou or an Overeem, any of those guys just yet. But if you keep building him up um, and keep working on all aspects of the game, I- I'm curious. I'd like to see what his takedowns look like. I'd like to see him wrestle a little bit. But outside of that, we got a full display of his striking skills. And I thought they looked really good. I was happy yeah, and with there's, there's no denying the, the scary physical qualities. Ken Flo, you got anything on Greg Hardy before we move this thing forward to, uh, to Singapore? No, listen, I, I again, I, this this was my point heading into this fight, Ian, if you remember. I said, you know, the, Ben Sassoli's the kind of guy that, that they should give him, you know, to keep kind of building him up. Because, yeah, he's going to get knockouts here and there. He's going to look good against certain guys if he lands the right shots. But I think these are the kind of fights that he's going to learn from. Getting 15 minutes, get 12 minutes. That's what's going to help a fighter. Getting quick knockouts here and there. You still don't know a whole lot about a fighter. So uh, I, I think we're still finding out that he is developing. I agree with you, Ian. He is getting better. Um, but continue giving him these fights. All right. We're going to move forward now and make some picks and uh, time permitting some some thoughts from Ken Flo and Joe Lozon and everything else on the way out on the back end. Uh, back-to-back lightweight picks, fellas, to start here. Ian, Benil Daryush, minus 135. Oh, I'll update the standings for you. How about there we six, go. 6-6. Six, six. So uh, it was 125-121. Uh, the Ken Flo lead is now 131 to 127. Nice underdog hit for Ken Flo on Joe Lozon. Ian Parker had an underdog hit on Darren Stewart. A lot of people thought Deron Wynn won that fight, but I digress. we got to move forward. I know you guys want to just talk shit to each other right now, but Ian Parker's <laughs> got to pick up his kid in 11 minutes. So we're going to Benil Dariush, who's minus 135. Frank Camacho, plus 105. Dariush, 16th UFC appearance, Ian Parker. Uh, and he has regained some momentum here with two straight wins. Do you think he keeps it going against uh, Frankie Camacho? <coughs> I do. I actually like this fight for Dariush. Uh, Camacho is kind of really relied on the brawl game. And against a guy in Darius who has the, the full skill set to make this fight wherever he wants to go, he just has to be smart and not let Camacho get into that slug and play. Um, I like Darius here. I think he's probably going to use his wrestling a little bit and get the fight to the ground. Uh, I'm going to go with Darius as the quick pick. Ken Flo, Camacho, one of the nicest guys on the roster, has been a lot of action fights. And coming off his first UFC finish, that came against Nick Hine June 1st. Vegas has it pretty close. What do you think about Benil here against Frank Camacho? Uh, both of these guys are, are just awesome individuals, uh, as nice as can be. Frank Camacho is a dangerous guy, as tough as they, as they can be as well. Um, he will continue to move forward. Um, if he's still breathing, he'll continue to move forward. I, I just think, as far as Benil Daryush goes, I think he does things a little bit better in all aspects than Frank, uh, especially when it comes to the ground game uh, and the wrestling. I, I think... Um, this is Benny's fight to lose. I think Benny takes this one here against Camacho. All right, co-main event also in the lightweight division. Uh, we'll have Ken Flo lead here and then three picks on the backside. Michael Johnson, minus 330. Stevie Ray, plus 255. 
Johnson back to 155 pounds here, went two and two during his run at featherweight. It ended with a knockout loss to Josh Emmett. He was winning that fight before getting caught with that huge shot late. DC missed it looking at his phone, if you remember. Um, Johnson's resume is crazy, Ken Flo. Like, you look at these wins. Tony Ferguson, only got to beat Tony Ferguson in the UFC. He's got a knockout win in a main event against Dustin Poirier. Beats Edson Barboza. Fought Khabib. Um... Stevie Ray, a big underdog here, and perhaps that Johnson resume is a reason why. Your thoughts on the co-main here in Singapore? Well, what the hell is going on in Daniel Cormier's phone? He's not looking at the phone. Is this some crazy text that's coming through? What's going on? School wrestling highlights. He was was watching Cain Velasquez on SmackDown. Yeah, that yeah. must have been yeah. it. That's the only excuse he has. All right. Well, listen, I, I think uh, Michael Johnson, big favorite here. I was surprised to see that number. Uh, Stevie Ray is tough, man. I, I think he's um, you know, pretty well-rounded. I, I think he's a guy who's going to try to move forward. I think he's going to try to take this fight to the ground, no doubt about it. Um, Michael Johnson definitely is going to have a speed advantage. I think he's got the better hands. I think he's got to utilize his footwork and be able to stick and move and try to catch Stevie as he comes forward. Um, I I think Michael Johnson takes this fight. I think he will be able to stop the takedowns. Uh, Michael, he typically gets off to a great start in his fights, and I think that's where Stevie uh, really needs to be careful early on to not get finished. Uh, But uh, I like Michael Johnson in his fight. Let's go with uh, second-round TKO. Round two TKO for Michael the Menace Johnson. On the other side, we got Stevie Ray. 11th UFC appearance for him, Ian. He's lost three of his last four. What do you think about Ray here against Michael Johnson? You know, um, it's funny. The resume that you, of the names you uh, said about Stevie Ray, it's just crazy how God, who evolves, who develops over the years. It's wild. Um, the way I'm picking this fight is going to go based on performance. I think Michael Johnson's against, against uh, Emmett was literally perfection minus one punch. And Emmett, I think, is a way stronger fighter uh, where we're at at this point in everyone's career than Stevie Ray. I, I do think Michael Johnson, Kenny's right. The speed's going to be there. His hands are going to be way more crisp, uh, super technical with his striking. I just think Stevie Ray is not going to be able to get this fight to the ground. You know, Mike, we forget Michael Johnson was a very good wrestler. And when he was on the Ultimate uh, Fighter, that's where he actually he didn't even really have good striking then. It was all about his wrestling. So I'm going to go Michael Johnson. I'm going to go by Kenny Florian decision in this one. <laughs> uh, Michael Johnson by decision. So don't I. So don't I. <laughs> so don't I. So All right. don't I. Event. I said that like a hundred times in the last three days. No one knows oh. what I'm talking about, but it doesn't even matter. Well, if you saw, we did a feature uh, on ESPN2's UFC Live. Uh, hopefully it'll be repurposed in longer form at some point on YouTube. But uh, there is a short clip on the UFC it. social media. But yeah, a lot of Boston accents this weekend. It was actually hard to turn it off for the broadcast because... Growing up, I thought Soto and I was completely normal. I had no idea (laughs) that that's not what you're supposed to say. Anyways, yeah. All right, main (laughs) event. Ben Askren, minus 165. The favorite against Damian Maia, plus 135. So Ben Askren's last fight, if you listen to this podcast, you know it lasted five seconds. First two UFC fights have gone 325 combined. Maia... Huge resume, twice fought for the title, name is all over the UFC record books, probably a Hall of Famer, Ken Flo. I know you're biased to your guy, Damian Maya, but 21 UFC wins, 30 appearances. Um, Ian, what do you think here? Damian Maya plus 135 underdog. What kind of fight are you expecting in Singapore, and ultimately who gets it done? Oh, I hope this is a five-round striking battle. I really do. Hey, um, you never know. That would be brutal. You know, you know what? It, it could end up happening because they can't get the fight to the ground. Um, you know what? I, this fight's tough. Damien's getting toward the end of his career. You know, against stronger wrestlers, as you saw against Kobe Covington, he didn't really have a lot of success. It was tough for him. That pressure is a little challenging. And I think Ben Askren, now that he really does not have to be concerned about a flying knee or about a true power puncher or a boxer, Coming in and really knocking him out, I think Ben, I know Kenny is very going to be biased on Damien, as I am with Ben, but I just think Ben's going to get this fight to the ground at some point. I think he might finish this by TKO, um, the way he finished Korshaw and a few of the other guys and other organizations. You know, I, Damien's jiu-jitsu is great, but when Ben's on top of you, it's like having a silverback gorilla, and regardless, it's just he knows what he's doing. I don't know if Damien's going to catch him. You know, unless Damien is able to backpack him like he did against Condit, I just think that Ben's wrestling is going to get it, get it done here. Um, I'm going to go Ben Askren. I, I really want to say by TKO in round three on the ground. Um, it's just so hard to, <laughs> to imagine at this point against Damien, but I'll take a shot. Askren, 
finish the fight, TKO, round three. I just think his wrestling is going to be too much once he's on top of Damien. All right, Ken Flo. Damien my Ben Askren, main event, Saturday morning, ESPN Plus, 5 a.m. Ken Flo time for the main CAD. Dang. Who do you like? Yeah, listen, I think Ben Askren uh, is going to be like a silverback gorilla just with a blonde afro, which is kind of a scary thought. Um, I I think Damian Maya is at his best when he gets on top, and I just don't see him being able to really take down someone in Ben Askren who has made a career – wrestling-wise, out of countering every single shot that you have in the book. If you are an elite international freestyle wrestler and you have some of the best takedowns in the game, Ben Askren will give you an extremely difficult time. And I tell you what, Damian Maya just does not have the kind of double leg that a Jordan Burroughs has, for example. So it's tough. I feel like uh, this is as bad as having to take your sister to the prom. Uh, picking Ben Askren against Damian Maya goes against everything that I stand huh. for. Huh. Um, but I just <laughs> think Ben Askren's uh, wrestling is just going to be way too much for Damian Maya. I-, I don't think it's going to be a thing where he gets the finish against Damian Maya. And I think Damian Maya will have his moments. But I think Ben Askren wins this. Yes, by Kenny Florian decision. There and- it is. It's working yeah, for you, kid. You know, you are defending a main event challenge title. That's right. Now that I have the belt, I don't have to. I have to just do enough, Ian. I'm going to frustrate you. I'm going to. I'm going to outpoint oh, you. I hope, That's I my hope game. I win. I'm going to make you get a Ben Sassoli haircut if I win. I swear to God. <laughs> we do. We well. We have. We'll be. We look forward to determining the stakes for 2020. Uh, we need to do a better job of really hardening yes. what the stakes are. Because I beat Ken Flo in the first main event challenge. And technically, he still owes me four hours of babysitting. You know? This is true. Um, but I don't feel like drinking a bunch of alcohol like I'm back at Theta Chi fraternity paying off this power <laughs> hour. So, all right. couple quick picks on the way out, fellas. First fight, um, or I should say last fight on the prelim portion on ESPN+. Plus. Strawweights. Randa Marcos, minus 180. Ashley Yoder, plus 150. For the record, Ian Parker, who do you have there? I'm taking a shot on the underdog here at Ashley Yoder. I think Random Marcos has fought better competition. However, I think Styles make fights, and I don't think she's going to get Yoder to the ground so easily. I think Yoder is the better striker. I think she's faster. Uh, I think Random Marcos has just become way too predictable, and she's so hesitant with her striking. That'll give Yoder time to use her kicks. I'm going underdog here, Ashley Yoder. Ian Parker with the cock block. All right, well, I'm going to go with Ashley Yoder as well. Listen, I think uh, Ashley's going to be able to keep it on the feet. Um, I-, I like Ashley as the underdog. Um, so, yeah, thanks, Ian. <laughs> Yoder's won maybe two in if a you, row. Maybe if you led more than just the co-main event, you get to have a really creative <laughs> underdog pick and not piggyback me, just a coast to a win. So that's cool. That's who I was going to go with, man. <laughs> How about the uh, fact that uh, Random Marcos, 12 UFC fights, never won two in a row, never lost two in a row. Oh, win-loss, wow. win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. There was a draw in there, then a win, another loss uh, against Claudia Gedalia. Um, all right, Muslim Salikov, king of kung fu, going for, for a third straight knockout win uh, against Lauriano Starpoli, who is plus 120. Salikov or the Argentine, Ian, who do you have here? This one's a really tough pick. With Salikov, you know, he had that awesome knockout of uh, Nordine, and then you got Strapley with a lot of TKOs on his record. His last few wins, though, but I'm going to go with Salikov here. I just His last fight was very, very impressive, and I think Nordine Talib is an underrated fighter who just got caught really bad. So that's where I'm going with the favorite in this one. Dan Flo, any thoughts on Salikov and Starpoli? You know, I wasn't so um, impressed with the Uruguayan fighter, to be honest. Um, I like Salikov here. Um, I think he gets it done, and most likely on the feet. All right, and then quickly, guys, at heavyweight, uh, Cyril Ghana, minus 310. He is undefeated, taking on Dantel Mays, who is plus 250. Mays, crazy story. He's been on all three seasons of Dana White's Contender Series, last of which was July of 2019, now makes his debut. Big underdog here against Ghana. Ian, what do you think about the big men? I like Ghana here. You know, his last fight winning by submission was pretty cool to see something different. And we haven't even seen this guy really known for his power, his power and his striking. Um, as much as Mays has been on the show and he's done better, you know, he's looked better each time. Until until Ghana loses, um, I'm going to stick with him, man. And Ghana is his training partner. This guy with size, that athleticism, too scary for me to go the other way. Chancellor? 
Any uh, thoughts? Same, same. All right. A lot of uh, agreement. So Actually, you guys agreed on all six. God damn it. It I very know. rarely happens, but it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Listen, listen. I'll drink early, and I'll throw you a really random pick to hopefully switch it go. up before. <laughs> Uh, Ian, anything else on this card? Uh, anything that you are, are looking at before we let you fly to the pickup line? Um, next time you interview Darren Stewart with a win, I expect your shirt to be off so you can show off your six-pack next to his. That would be the first thing I would recommend. Uh, that was the best line on the entire night, and, and your uh, meatball molly comment had me on the floor. Um, oh, other than that, I really like Darius in this fight on a betting standpoint. Um, you know, this, this card's tough. This card's really tough. You know, I, I like Askren at minus 165. And those are the two that really stand out. And I really like Ashley Yoder at dog money right now. I just don't yeah. have a lot of faith in Brandon Marcos if she can't get the fight to the ground. And Yoder, I know, has got pretty good takedown defense. So those, those are my tough, three picks man. at the moment that I really like. All right, well, maybe we'll go to Long Island Bagel and Deli on Saturday morning, you and me, and, and we'll, we'll put on the uh, the fights on an iPad and have some coffee or something. Oh, he's got a kid in the car. You let, All right, we'll talk to you next you, week. You buddy. let me know. I'll be there. You let me know. I'll be there. All right, Ian Parker, every week here on the Main Event Challenge. So, Ken Flo, you seem pretty convicted intangibly uh, or tangibly that Joe Lozon just wasn't going to lose at TD Garden. And gosh, man, from the moment that fight started, I was thinking of you because he just wasn't going to be denied. I kind of liked what I saw from Jonathan Pierce during fight week, but yeah. uh huge moment for, uh, for Joe Lozon and, and, and true to form sort of, you know, owning that, that Boston garden as few men have done over the last few years, at least in terms of the Bostonians. Man, man did he kill it. Uh, I thought he did fantastic. I, I thought that um, Pierce just seemed to get way more emotional as the fight went on. He kept getting tagged with jab after jab, uh, then started getting hit with the with the cross. Um, and then once Joe Lozon got his arms around him it was all over you could see that the grappling disadvantage was significant i thought he had dislocated his shoulder at one point when he yeah. had that uh, arm kind of behind his neck like that uh lozon just just starts him for the beginning and that was just complete dominant violence there from lozon it was awesome to see the other reason which I liked it, not only it being in Boston, but the fact that he actually had a long layoff. I, I actually liked that for Joe Lozon to kind of relax, heal his body, um, give him a fresh perspective heading into that fight. Lozon um, is one of the legends out of uh, out of Boston, and to see him um, get the win there at this point in his career yeah. uh, was just awesome to see. Boston legend. Right there alongside yourself. You're right, though, in terms of the layoff, the 18 months off. Steve Mays is pretty close with UFC President Dana White, and he called the matchmakers and said after Joe lost to Chris Gritzmacher, he's not fighting anymore, you know. Uh, and Joe methodically did all the right things over 18 months. I mean, you saw the physical transformation. I mean, he, he great. changed up his strength and conditioning program to the nth degree to try to have at least one more shining moment, and, and he certainly did. And we congratulate one of the all-time good guys in the sport, you know, Massachusetts native or otherwise Joe. Lozon. A uh, couple other names I'll throw out there. I do want to get your thoughts on Charles Rosa and the verbal submission uh, armbar there to get Manny Bermudez. Darren Stewart and Deron Wynn. You know, I thought our call sort of reflected that Deron Wynn maybe won that fight 2-1. to one. Did you have any thoughts on, on that fight or that decision? Yeah, I, I thought Deron Wynn won that fight. I, I um, It's not a robbery by any right. means, but fight. Yeah. you got to look at the control of the fight as well. Everyone's looking at the strikes. A lot of the strikes that Darren Stewart threw, I don't think really landed that heavy um, in, the, in the third round. I thought that Deron Wynn dominated enough or controlled enough of that round to get the win. I, I think I'm talking about the right round. You are. Uh, third. Yeah, so... I don't know, man. Um, I didn't think Darren Stewart did enough damage-wise. I think what really affected the judge's decision or perspective on that fight was the complete lack of boxing defense from Deron Wynn. My goodness, he better get it. He needs to do something, something with his striking. And again, it, this is something that concerns me for a few of those guys over at AKA, and I'm probably getting myself in trouble here. But defensively, man, what is going on? It's not just walking forward and throwing shots. Please utilize your footwork. Please use your head movement. Please utilize it to set up your strikes a lot better. Deron Wynn won that fight because of his wrestling and because of his knowledge of how to take a fight to the ground. But as far as 
putting it all together in, in, yeah. a, in a package that's going to make yeah. him safe moving forward. Right. Man, something needs to change. Something yeah, needs lot, to change. And, a lot of work to do for sure. Yeah, and, and in regards to the Charles Rosa fight, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think that a lot of people felt that Manny Bermudez was going to have this big advantage on the ground. I did not see it that way. Again, you know, belts don't always matter. I, I think Benny, Manny Bermudez is like maybe a purple belt, and Charles Rosa is a, a black belt. I think been a black belt for a little while, right? Is that correct? Under Ricardo Laborio, yes. Yeah, so Laborio, again, one of the greatest Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners of all time, okay? He's a true OG of the game. Um, I, I did not think it was going to be a huge advantage. I, I know DC thought that... Um, you know, it, it was a bad position for Charles Rosa to be in. Right. It was not. Charles Rosa had his legs up. He was trying to set up that arm lock the whole time. It looked like that's the way it was going to go down to me. Manny Bermudez was just uh, leaving his arm out there. I, I thought it was a, a, a not a smart game plan from him. And for a guy who did not make weight, again, going up in weight, I thought was a true embarrassment in, in, in every aspect. And Manny's a good guy, and I think he's got a lot of potential as a fighter. But that was just not a good week for him. You couldn't have put it any better. Uh, it was a real black eye for uh, for Manny Bermudez and for Charles Rosa, too. I don't know if you remember the backstory, Kenny, but he lost his two older brothers to, to drug overdoses. Yeah. And his dad has this foundation, you know, Chucky's fight and uh, for people who've dealt with substance abuse and uh, hugely invasive neck surgery. Right. He had been out almost a thousand days and to come in and win this fight this way. Uh, and to get a $50,000 bonus after 923 days away, uh, it's what this sport is all about. And nobody bleeds Boston sports quite like this Boston strong Charles Rosa, right? No longer wearing the Bruins jersey out to the octagon. I know you were the guy a lot of us associated that spoke be with because you wore it to the, to the way in, in Vancouver like a fucking G that you are. Uh, <laughs> But for Charles Rosa, you know, synonymous with walking out in the Bruins jersey and for him to have that moment in the garden when you know everything that he's been through, uh, you know, doctors were begging him to retire. So, uh, And awesome to see, again, long layoff, coming back, looked refreshed, got a win against a guy who a lot of people thought uh, he was going to lose to. Uh, great to see that, man. All right, that is going to do it for this week. We got to get out of here. Congratulations to all the winning fighters. Great show it was in Boston. And uh, we'll see. I think Yaya Rodriguez is going to be heard from. I really do. I think that he just might get that belt around his waist at some point before that career is said and done. Uh, thanks to the usual suspects. This has been a TJ DeSantis production. Appreciate everybody listening out there, watching on the new YouTube channel as well. Subscribe, tell your friends. We love you for it. Uh, next Monday, it is a pay-per-view week, folks. Uh, we'll get you primed. UFC 244, Masvidal versus Diaz, and everything else. What a huge card coming up. Madison Square Garden, November 2nd. With that, for Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. May RockyBJJ.com. Love you all. Be well. Don't text and drive. Talk to you next week. Yo, later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.